specifically for us, how do we live a life in Christ such that people ask, why do you live the life you live? I mean, it's one thing to accept the superiority of Christ, as the writer to the Hebrews insisted, chapter 1, 1 through 5.14, and even to recognize and accept that the superior way of Christ is necessary. Chapter 6, all the way to verse 20. A person might even agree that Jesus' work creates a new covenant, superior to the old and eternal. It starts in chapter 7, goes all the way to 10.18. But what does it mean to live? <laughs> to live this life in Christ. The entire section, from 10.19 to 13.25, the end of Hebrews, might be called the new and better life in Christ. In the first section, 10, 19 to 25, he tells his hearers, no, this life is yours, and enthusiastically enter it. In 10, 26 to 31, he will remind them there is no longer forgiveness of sins under that old system. So understand the fate of those who reject the new and cling to the old. In the largest subsection of this part, 10.32 to 12.2, he encourages them, faith in God will carry you through. He reminds them, 10.32 to 39, you've already suffered for your faith and you've held on. But he encourages them in all of chapter 11 into chapter 12 to consider the faith of those who were waiting for Jesus and then hold on to him. He reminds them to focus he reminds them to remember the focus of the Christian life, as he says in 12, 3 to 17, look to the Son as he has made us God's children. And remember, in 12, 18 and 20, we are of heaven and cannot be shaken. So, 13, live the life as those who have as, live this life as those who have benefited by Christ's creation of the new covenant. As the most wonderful benediction in 13, 20 to 21. And ends this letter, even if it's formatted as a sermon, with some greetings. But let's rejoin him as he encourages his hearers to know this life is yours and enthusiastically enter it. Well, knowing all that our writer has thus far said, he drives them forward. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Can't you feel all that he's talked about so far, if you've been reading with us in Hebrews? Can you feel the great assurance that those Jews who really believed would feel? And are you encouraged? Okay then, let's look at the two primary aspects of this new and better life. He forms them into instructions. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. The first aspect is to the one who promised and is faithful our relationship to God. The second part, and the one that occupies much of our time and effort, is to one another. Uh, We might say it's our life lived spiritually and our life lived physically. Now, we don't really live these lives separately uh, in theological anthropology. That's the biblical study of humanity. We say that humans are created persons expressed in two natures, the spiritual and the material, or physical. Who you are comes out in your spiritual life and is expressed correspondingly in your physical life. Who we are with God and who we are with people are really mirrors of each other. That's why John could say, anyone who says he loves God but hates his brother is a liar. Okay, But these are two different aspects of who we are, and the writer to the Hebrews deals with the first part, our relationship with God, in this next section. He begins with a person's treatment of Christ. A section, I've given it a long title. There is no longer forgiveness of sins under the old system. Understand the fate of those who reject the new and cling to the old. Title may be longer than the text. Here we go. <laughs> For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment, do you think, will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed, and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now it's true. Our author is a Jew, writing to Hebrews, who must make the choice to leave behind the old system and embrace the new in Christ. It's also true that there is no forgiveness of sins under the old system anymore. In fact, there never was. It was always about having faith in God's plan and knowing that he would one day deliver his children. The sacrifices pointed to that. They didn't, in and of themselves, give forgiveness of sins. In fact, their job was to remind God's people of their sin so that they would look forward to Jesus. But it's also true that, ultimately, each and every human that has or will walk the face of this earth must choose. If a person spurns the Son of God and outrages the Spirit of grace, well, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But these, to whom he writes, are those who chose Jesus. And our writer says to them, faith in God will carry you through. Starting with this encouragement, you've already suffered for your faith and you kept holding on. 
But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So, how does a person know they are of those who have faith and preserve their souls? Remember that he has said faith in God has always defined the people of God. So, how do we know, he next says, we have faith? Well, simple. We should consider the faith of those who were waiting for Jesus, holding on to him. Now, all through this section, we need to remember something very important. This section is often called the Hall of Fame of Faith. But that's not the focus of what our writer is trying to convey. He gives this information, much of it about specific people, so that his audience will have a working description of faith in God. He wants them to know how faith intersects with their lives, our lives. Partly he does this by showing how it intersected with the lives of past believers. You see, he's trying to assure them that they are people of faith. They're people of God. They're supposed to see themselves in these vignettes and to be encouraged to even better lives of faith. And I think we too, I mean, for people of God, see ourselves in these words. So listen and see if it's true. Do you see yourself in these words? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents 
with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They knew, because of their faith in God, that there is more than this tired old world. (laughs) Our author is asking his hearers, do you know there is more? If so, you are a child of God's. Do we know? For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They believed. And because they believed, they lived like they believed. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Do you live by faith? Do you live like you are God's child? Moses did. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. 
Others suffered mocking, flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. He's saying, you too are worth more than all the world. Do we know that we are worth more than all the world? If we are God's children, those who live by faith in him, we are. Those ancient saints, of whom the world was not worthy, were. And they were wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. They, those ancient saints, could only look forward, wondering what the Messiah would do. They and we, he says, can look to Jesus as he has made us God's children. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Some of the people of the past had suffered horribly, sawn in two, and yet kept their faith. Jesus suffered more than any man, because he was more than any man. But he was truly human, and if he can do it, then we also can but, our author contends, they haven't really had it that bad yet. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Do not, as you live as children of God, Forget whose you are. God, he says, expects more of you and will work with you, whether you cooperate or not, uh, <laughs> to help you live this new and better life, to live like a person who is more valuable than all the world. He's going to make sure that you are. In fact, if you aren't having any problems in your Christian life, well, Maybe you should wonder if you really are a child of God. <laughs> they kind of go together. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, 
that we may share his holiness. Okay, we stop here for just a second. Uh, Rome, at the time this was written, was easily the most horrible, decadent society that ever existed on the face of the earth. It's horrible. The romanticism of it is a complete mistake. It was a terrible place. The abuse and misuse of people, especially slaves and women and children, was more terrible than ever at any time in history. Okay, It was a horrible society. And yet our modern society in America is worse even than that horrible time in one way. In fact, no civilization has ever been as bad in this area. More than 40% of the children in America do not live full-time in their birth father's home. 40, more than 40%. How can a child understand the care of God if they never experience the care of their human father? How can they see God as their father if they didn't see God in their father? One of my old pastors, Ron Hart, used to say that. How can they understand this? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Doesn't that cry out to us? Yes, I know it's tough, but do you not remember whose you are? With great privilege comes great responsibility, but hold your head high. Your Father is God. He will make you worthy to bear the name of Christ. Your true Father will make you worthy to bear the name of Christ, allow you, help you to run into the middle of it all. Well, how? Our author now begins to transition into instructions for life. For living in such a way that people ask, why do you live <laughs> the way you live? Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. No one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. If you don't know the Old Testament stories, <laughs> you really can't understand the New Testament well. So please make sure you read those stories through on a regular basis. And now... Our writer compares those who do not believe and those who are of heaven and cannot be shaken. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. He's speaking here about that first generation of Jews that came out of Egypt and contrasting that lost generation with these new believers in Christ. 
In specific, he's speaking about the time that God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. One day, all this world and all the evil in it will be destroyed, but we will be brought into a new heavens and a new earth. Why? Because our high priest is in heaven. The covenant he brings is not from this earth, but from heaven. It is not merely, simply material. In fact, it is primarily spiritual. Finally, a way is made for the material and the spiritual to be bonded together in purity. And at that point in the future, this new covenant, this new and better life, will be permanently invoked. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. I don't know why God has chosen us as his children, but he has. At the least, let us be grateful. But our author knows his audience can do more. They can offer to God acceptable worship. And I think we can too. They can, so he says to them in the last chapter, live this life as those who have benefited by Christ's creation of the new covenant, this new and better life. Let brotherly love continue. Now don't fly past this too quickly. Don't misunderstand. This is the core of all Christian living to care for others more than for ourselves. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor above all, among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous let brotherly love continue with strangers in the community, he says to them, whom you know are believers. Treat them as brothers and sisters in Christ. More, 
way more than we do today. Brothers and sisters took care of each other. And with those you know who are suffering, he says, treat them as a member of the body of Christ if they're suffering that way. Even more, with those with whom you are intimate, live honorably. Let brotherly love continue. It's another pet peeve of mine. I get to do that every once in a while. <laughs> a sexual immorality is always, uh, by the way, at the head of every biblical list of sins. Uh, have you noticed that our nation is saturated in sexual immorality? And that's because most Americans deny that there is a creator God to whom they are responsible and who will judge them. They want their pleasure more than they want to do what is right. Same as in the Roman Empire of that time. And in the long run, those that stay that way, they'll all be destroyed. Because unlike Moses, they choose to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin rather than be mistreated with the children of God, people of God. But we should let brotherly love continue. Are we the people of God? Well, if you reject sin, which gives pleasure for only a moment, choosing to be mistreated with the people of God instead, then we probably are. Well, is there another way that we can know we are part of this new and better life? Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can men do to me? Lots of money or a little, be content. You see that this is a trust issue? Contentment is based on trust. If we really believe all that this writer said about the Son and the Father and the Spirit, we can be content with what we have. Because you know, you trust, you have faith that he will take care of you. Here's another test of our faith. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And he'll come back to this issue of leaders in a moment. But first, another way you can know whose you are. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why does he say that here? <laughs> Remember, he's saying look to Jesus. Throughout this section, to Jews, strange teachings and those who serve the tent, that points to the Jews who have rejected Christ and chosen to live under that old system. But... Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So that system, and anything we might think sounds good, <laughs> means nothing if we're not looking to Jesus. So how are they to think about that old system given by God as it relates to Jesus? For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. 
the old system pointed to Jesus, he says. And don't you love how he uses a single example to show that and to show that they should leave that old temporary system, well, 1,500 years is pleading to God, and get on with the real system outside the camp. That system that was always the plan. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And why should they do this? For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now, do you do that? Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as though who, those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Have you noticed that when you live like a child of God's, it turns out to your advantage? <laughs> it's not like those fleeting pleasures of sin which always end in pain. We live as God desires for us, doing good and not continually chasing those fleeting pleasures of sin that always end in pain. But let's take a moment and go back and think about leading and leaders. Obviously, he's still talking about those who lead, who speak the word of God. Now, every pastor that I know shares a fear with me, a fear that we will somehow misrepresent the good news of Jesus Christ to those we lead. We wake up at night thinking about it. I'm not kidding. <laughs> but shouldn't every adult Christian be leading someone by speaking the word of God? Uh, it's good to remember that you will be asked to give an account concerning your leadership with them. Uh, you know, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, but your friends, uh, those you work or do business with, and those you recreate with. Are you truly leading them towards Jesus, toward their Heavenly Father? Does your life draw them to Him? Well, if it does, if you are, you're a child of God. <laughs> a person living by faith in God. And our writer now, he gets personal, but still speaking about what they should do if they really have faith. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. We, at that time, it was polite to speak of yourself with what, or what we would now call the royal we. The point is, it's okay to make a personal plea for help from your Christian and brothers and sisters. And it's wonderful to do it with a clear conscience. But did you catch that last identifier of a child of God's that he mentions? They want to spend time together. They can't wait to get back together again. If you find yourself with an aching to get to church, you might just be a child of God's. <laughs> 
And do you look forward to our services? Does your soul yearn for our classes? Do you love to get together and worship? Is your fellowship with other believers sweet? Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He ends with some customary greetings. This is a letter. Even if it's formatted as a sermon, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. We do need to live this life with this day-in and day-out happenings. Day mundane or dramatic. And we need to live live this life in such a way that people ask, why do you live the life you live? Let's go back and look at his summary, his benediction once again. And may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you know that all three persons of the Trinity are said to have been involved in the resurrection of Jesus? It is the central issue of Christianity. And it's the primary thing you absolutely categorically must believe to be defined as a Christian. Do you remember that our writer in the center of his sermon said that they must leave that old and move to this new? Because there is no forgiveness of sins any other way in this beautiful benediction. Our author cannot stop talking about Jesus, the one who is superior to any and everyone. There is a reminder of the real sacrifice made in the heavenly places, the only means of forgiveness for sins. And he reminds them that the one who gave them their faith will also make it possible and equip them to live it out. To live this life of faith in such a way that people will ask, why do you live your life the way you live? And surely, this message is to us as well. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we could be here together to worship you. It only takes two or three and there's more than that here. We want to worship you. We want to gather together in Jesus' name. Thank you that we were able to do that today. We're going to leave soon. And I pray that you would bless and protect each person. And I think I'll just join with whoever this book. Close out today by saying, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you 
with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory, forever and ever. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us, maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.